Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today, we're going to talk about a new global media startup on the block called Semaphore, which launched this week. Now, there's a lot of hype around this company. After all, it's been co-founded by two household names in the media business, Justin Smith, formerly the Bloomberg CEO, president of The Atlantic and co-founder of Quartz, and Ben Smith, the founding editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed. Semaphore has spent the last nine months raising $25 million in investment and hiring big-name reporters to front up its newsletters. Video and breaking news are also on offer. But what makes Semaphore different is an editorial style they're calling Semaform, a way to create deeper and clearer news articles. At least, that's only partly true. Semaform has echoes of models built by successful digital media companies that came before it. So what really is new here? Here to unpick that with me is Gina Chua, the executive director and one such big name that joined the company from Reuters, where she held senior editorial and commercial roles for 10 years. We'll talk about the vision for Semaphore in the backdrop of dwindling trust towards the media and increasing levels of news avoidance, both problems it is desperate to solve. All of that's coming up, so don't go anywhere. Gina, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you so much for making the time to speak to me. Thank you for having me. In what must be a very, very busy week for you. It's been incredibly hectic. I have had a few hours of sleep, so um, but I'm, I'm, slowly get, I'm slowly recovering. I understand a little known fact about you is that you're a massive Battlestar Galactica fan. Best TV show ever made. It's science fiction, which I love. It's realistic and gritty, which I love. Great acting in it. Um, but mostly it sort of explores all sorts of really interesting themes, including sort of multiple gods. I'm not sure what the right word is. You know, it's sort of both uplifting and bleak and, and sort of has all of the, um, explores all the complexities of the human condition, which I, is a lot to pack into four and a half seasons of science fiction, but it does it very well. So I recommend everyone find it and watch and binge watch the entire thing. How often do you go back to watch it? Um, well, it's my screensaver, so I can see it all the time. <laughs> Awesome. Right. Let's get into the real discussion then, which is, of course, a, a massive week for yourself. We've finally seen the launch of Semaphore. Many congratulations. How have the last nine months been leading up to this moment? I mean, it's been really interesting. I mean, obviously, it's not at all like what the last 48 hours have been, right? The last the last nine months has been a lot of planning and thinking and hiring and prototyping and all of that kind of stuff. And, and I mean, let's face it, no matter how much planning you do, you never really know how it's going to turn out until the day. It's sort of like rehearsing for a play and then it's opening night. And so Tuesday was functionally opening night for us. And, um, you know, I have to say it turned out brilliantly. I mean, there was probably a lot of sort of cycling, you know, paddling a lot underwater to, to get that done. But it, but it came off really well. Um, and we're on day two now. And they, they always say the second parachute jump is harder than the first parachute jump. I don't know. I've never jumped out of a plane. Um, but uh, but luckily, the uh, the chutes deployed and we came on to, to land. And now, you know, tomorrow we'll do the third parachute jump. Do it all over again. Let's, let's talk for a moment about where we are as a digital media landscape. Because I think Companies of any size, of any age, kind of face two big problems right now. And this was outlined in the last Reuters digital news report. One being really low levels of trust um, across the media. I think in the US, your market, it's 26% of Americans trust the news. Um, and also 42% um, are selectively avoiding the news. So news avoidance is really high. Um, 
what's Semaphore's thoughts on this? What's your proposition to the world with that in mind? Well, first of all, I just want to say you said your market. I mean, we are going after a global market, although, you know, obviously we're working at, you know, market one or two markets at a time. And so <clears throat> there we are sort of really am looking at the US market, but also the African market. And over time, we'll sure. to expand that. There, there are, I think, two ways to sort of think about this. One is, you know, people are overloaded with information. And I think, you know, being able to to be more concise while not giving up any of the complexity, I think is a really important thing to help bring people back to the news. And I think the other part of the, um, the, the trust in news is driven very much by, obviously, a, a level of polarization in society that, you know, that is not journalism's fault per se, although certainly large forms of the news um, landscape doesn't help. But what we're really trying to do, I think, is bring a little more transparency to journalism, bring a little more trust. And, and we're doing that by something we call the semaphore, which breaks up news articles into essentially sort of undisputed facts and context, as well as sort of a, a well-reported piece of analysis by the reporter. And we're hoping that that addresses several of the questions that we're, we're talking about. One is sort of trust and, and sort of by through some more transparency. Some of it is through um, uh, sort of the news avoidance by, by providing, um, if you like, distilled insights, making it easier and more efficient for you to consume. Yeah, I, th I think that solves the trust one, but the avoidance one is a little bit more tricky because I mean, if, if they're avoiding the news, they're not going to see all the great things you're trying out. So I think you need to be a bit more direct in, in who you kind of go to. Um, do, you, do you have a solution for that in mind? To bring your news to people, I think they have to hear about it and, and they hear about it best through word of mouth. Obviously, you can market to people. But I think what, what we hope, obviously, is that as we build an audience, and remember, it is just day two, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like, again, it's like opening a play, right? How, how do you get people to come to your play? Well, you get, you know, you can advertise a lot. And obviously, you know, we will do what we can in, on the marketing sphere. But really, at the end of the day, it's people saying to each other, come see this play. And that's what we hope people saying to each other, you know, try this news out, see what you think of it. Does it, does it solve some of the issues that you want solved? Um, does it meet your needs? And we want to be very audience focused um, and we want to be very responsive to audiences. Obviously we don't want, to, it's not, that's not a question of sort of pandering to an audience, but we do want to know what their issues are so that we can try and address them. And <laughs> in fact, some people have noticed that, um, um, you know, when we when we launched um, uh, early in the U.S. day yesterday, we we launched with a style that bolded a lot of sentences, and within a few hours, we'd stop that. And you know, that's that's probably the best example of listening to your audience and being responsive. Yep, I noticed this. Why such a U-turn then? We walked in with a thesis about bolding uh, from a from a reader perspective, right? We said, like, look, this is a way to make people's eyes move to the next sentence. It helps speed reading. And, you know, obviously we are a, a small, you know, no matter how much research you do at the end of the day, we are a small sample set. And then you release it into the world and people look at it and they and you get a reaction fairly quickly. And you look at that and you think, well, I'm not prepared to you know, as, as my friend who was in the army once said, I'm not fair to die in a ditch over this. I mean, this this seems to me like an entirely reasonable reaction. Um, so let's change it. And look, this is not this is not foundational to the organization, right? I mean, if in six months somebody says, listen, there's a slightly different bolding style that works that improves the reading experience. Why don't we try that? I, I've I've spent too much time at too many news organizations who sort of say, 
this is our tradition. This is the way we do it. We couldn't possibly think of it. You know, we'll need to do a sort of a six month test and, you know, <clears throat> and multiple committees before we decide whether we're going to sort of, you know, use um, curly apostrophes or straight apostrophes. Um, and I think, you know, the best way to do it is just keep listening to your audience. Semaform is really quite straightforward. News articles are broken up into five separate parts. First, the news, the facts of the story, pure and simple, reporting without filler details and stuffy quotes. Next, the reporter's view or analysis, accepting that these journalists are experts in their own right and they do have a valuable perspective to offer. Then, a counter-argument of the reporter's view put forward by the reporter themselves, accepting that they could be wrong. After that, a view from an opposing side or an outside perspective on the story, and then finally, some optional extra reading in the notable section, such as relevant articles by other media publications or wider research. Anyone familiar with Axios will recognise some familiar patterns in the writing style. The digital media company founded in 2017 has found a great success in an article format called Smart Brevity, similarly stripping down news stories into its component parts and formulating it into bullet point takeaways. Smart Brevity also uses axioms, bold phrases to tee up those sections and improve readability, something Semaphore has already tried and discarded. Axios, axioms, Semaphore, Semaforms, the similarities are quite clear. So what's different? Target audience and purpose, according to Gina. I think the folks at Axios have done some really interesting and innovative work. I mean, I think what they did, and obviously I don't want to put words in, you know, Jim and Hayes uh, or Mike Allen's mouth, but, you know, what, what you can see is that they looked at information overload as an issue and they decided to try and solve for that. And I think they've done a really nice job in sort of saying, you know, you may not want to read this, you know, 4,000 word piece. Can I get it down to something, you know, shorter and, and get you the, that, those pieces of information? We obviously do want to solve um, or at least address the information overload issue. Mm. But I think what we're, what we're really aiming at is sort of the transparency and trust issue. Um, and, and so to that extent, I think we're solving for slightly different things. The, the, the actual form, ultimately, I think, is less important than the, than the intent. And, um, and that's really our intent, which is to aim to look at several different issues. And trust is one of them. Um, overload is another one. Um, so I guess I would say we're, we're, what we're really looking for is concision with complexity and nuance. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I guess the other similarity is newsletters really being the driving force of your journalism as well, using a combination of star writers and very clear verticals um, as, as the main output. Yeah, we're not wedded to newsletters in the sense of, you know, we're a newsletter, you know, news organization and we'll never change. Thank you very much. That kind of thing. No, I mean, what we've done is we've looked at the delivery mechanism of, of news and newsletters clearly are a moment. And perhaps, you know, so many years ago, it would have been, would have been video perhaps. And so many other years ago, it would have been newspapers and, and so on. Right. So what we're doing is we're simply looking at the transmission and publishing methods that I think are of the moment that people seem responsive to. Newsletters really do change the style and the, um, and the relationship you have. It's very much more like a newspaper. You don't go to the news as you would on a website. It comes to you. It goes into your inbox in the same way that a newspaper used to land on your front porch. You've sort of invited it in. And then I think more than that, because of the structure of it, it um, there is a complete ability 
to it in the same way that there's a complete ability to a newspaper, <clears throat> at least back in the day before the web, and I'm old enough to remember those days. Um, you got a newspaper, you finish reading it, you put it on the side or you wrapped fish with it or whatever it is you did with it, but there you were done, right? And same with, you know, sort of the 30 minute newscast. The newsletter is a bit like that. You've got an email, it's so many, you know, 1500 words, 2000 words, 2500 words, it's in your inbox. You read it to the end, assuming you do that, and then you're done. And so there's a, there's a way of sort of thinking of it as a complete experience and a complete product, if you like, the same way that you thought of a newspaper as that, as opposed to a website, which is much more, let's keep adding to it and, you know, let's see what part of it you might want to go to. So it's a very different experience. And I think it does shape how you think about your relationship with an audience. Mm, absolutely. I sense part of your answer there is, is essentially saying, um, this is what we think right now, but we're prepared to change our minds if, if our assumptions are proved wrong and we'll move to something else. Or, or not even if our assumptions are proved wrong, but if the world changes, right? If tomorrow somebody invents some new, you know, 3D holographic news uh, delivery system that, you know, people turn to, we're interested in the audience. We're not wedded to the form or the delivery. What we really want to do is we want to serve audiences and, and, and we want to address the issues that the audiences have. And as those change, so too we will change. No, but that's the beauty of being a startup. You're able to move quite agile and, you know. Um, but, you know, on, on that point, it's a, it's a useful question. Who is Semaphore for and what is the market gap you've identified? There's, there's multiple, I think, different market gaps. I mean, the Africa um, newsletter really is aimed at a growing middle class in Africa that, that we think is you know, is either served by national media in Africa or is not as well served by international media, which tends to treat it as a place to be covered as opposed to an audience to speak to. So I think we can fill a market gap there. And I think the broader market gap in, in a place like, say, the, the US is really about people who either feel perhaps overwhelmed by information, perhaps feel that the, the media that they can consume is, is uh, slightly too polarized and would like something a little more, in, you know, in our terms, a little more transparent. But I think also um, there is this idea because we do want to be a global company, not just in geography, but in sensibility, if that makes sense. You know, even as we are addressing, say, the US market, we do want to bring them global perspectives in a way that, and that's not just simply, you know, we'll station people in other countries and tell you what they do, but really tell you what other people in other countries think. That's that's part of the semaphore is to bring those perspectives. And we think that there are people who, um, you know, who really feel like that is an important part of their media diet and perhaps are not getting it as much as they, they want. The beauty of being a startup, of course, is not being wedded to the past and instead being agile, as is the buzzword we always hear. In other words, being able to test new ideas quickly, take forward what works and discard what doesn't. Sometimes that takes a while to figure out. For example, Tortoise Media, a British startup, launched just over three years ago to similar fanfare and with similar purpose to cater for news audiences feeling overwhelmed by the news. It took time for them to realise that podcasts were the most effective and profitable medium for its journalism, not long reads, as was initially their plan. Semaphore will also need to undergo a period of testing and learning. They will also need to keep a close eye on Semaform as well, their writing style, making tweaks along the way, and that may involve thinking through the training side of the business. 
Their model is based on hiring well-drilled journalists who will be accustomed to traditional writing methods. That hasn't yet proved an issue, according to Gina, as journalists have taken seamlessly to the style. They sort of understood um, and embraced it. And so far, at least, and, you know, we, we've got about, I don't know, what, three dozen um, people in the newsroom. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that will change as we hire more people. But right now, everybody seems to be a fan. And we haven't needed much training, honestly. I mean, needed a little bit more training just in formatting. Um, but from a sort of the, the sort of understanding the core idea hasn't seemed to be a real issue. Cool. So who enforces this day in, day out? And how does that take shape? To some extent, your technology um, determines what you do. And so when you think about our content creation system, our publishing system, it's built that way, which, which doesn't mean you can't every now and then break it if you really need to break it. And we're not so ideological as to say everything, you know, ultimately must fit a certain way. But we've got sort of a default, um, if you like. And that's, I mean, it's not so much a question of sort of enforcing it as it's just kind of the way you, you, you write it. I mean, if, if you've worked at, at a different organization and it says, you know, fill in your byline here, you fill in your byline there. And, and if you worked at an organization that didn't have bylines and it didn't have that space in the publishing system, well, you don't do it, right? Oh, so you mean like when, I, when your reporters open up the CMS, it, it prompts them to say, right, what is your counter argument? What is your view from the other side, et cetera? Well, it's like what part is uh, room for disagreement? And so it's there and, you know, and, and you can see it. So it sort of it builds in the, the muscle memory, if you like. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the specifics of that, when it comes to coming up with a counter argument for your own piece, your own analysis, when it comes to getting a, a differing view to yourself, how internally does that workflow happen? It depends a little bit on the journalist, right? But but at the end of the day, I think as all journalists know, there's always this debate, or there should be this debate with, with an editor, if you've got a good editor, right? Which is where you say, you know, look, I'm doing this story and I think, you know, this is happening or that's happening. And, and a good editor says, are you sure? I mean, the, the best editors don't, don't say, oh, that's right, go ahead, you know, give me 500 words, thanks. They say, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? What are the issues you haven't? It should come to most journalists um, fairly naturally, the sense of, of sort of challenging your assumptions in a story. You know, obviously it, it helps when you've got an editor who does that as well, and we've got some very good editors. And then finally, I think it's it's also scouring what's being said in the world. I mean, one of the great beauties of this um, current information ecosystem, I guess, is that you'll definitely find lots of uh, lots of opposing viewpoints, almost anything you can come up with. And that sort of helps, I think, not that you should just take those, but that you would, it helps sharpen your mind as you think about what are the arguments, even about things that you may passionately believe in. I think it's really important that you understand what, um, you know, what, the other sides, because it's often many more than, than just one other side, what the other sides are saying and, 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 and sort of take that into account as you, um, as you write your piece. And in, in the case of our semaphore, write this very specific section of your piece. And, and I guess this will be, you know, something you will test and learn over the next two years, uh, as is being the beauty of a startup. 10 years, not two years. The reason I say two years is that, you know, you've, you've raised um, this 25 million in, in, in investment and that, that sort of tides you over for the next two years of, of funding, correct? Well, I mean, a little bit more than that, I think. But, but really, at the end of the day, obviously, we're also expecting not to just spend, just to spend money. We're expecting to bring money in as well. And I think if we, and look, I mean, Justin Smith is, is possibly, probably 
one of the most successful media executives of his generation. Um, and certainly the, the this is, I've worked with a lot of business teams in my time, and this is one of the best business teams I've ever worked with. So my expectation, and, and, and I think it's a pretty well-founded one, is that you know, they will be able to be bringing revenue in. So it's not just a question of let's spend out this money. It's, you know, it's a question of let's make this into a going concern, which I have every confidence that, that we will. Final question from me then, just leaning on the two-year idea for, for a moment, if you will. Where do you hope you'll be in two years' time with Semaphore? You know, looking back on the situation now, what position do you want to be in? Um, well, look, I'd love for us to, um, I'd love the semaphore to get into public consciousness. And I will say that, you know, we've been parodied already on day one. So I think that's a good sign that, uh, you know, <laughs> that people are, are getting used to us. I think there's different answers there, right? I mean, from a from a purely business perspective, I'd love us to be a, a good, solid going concern with, with a lot of confidence about the future. And I have every confidence we'll be, we'll, we'll get there, you know, fairly quickly. Um I think from a journalism point of view, you know, I'd certainly love us to be doing great stories and being at the center of conversations and, and being sort of an important voice in, in the world of information. I'd love from an innovation point of view for the semaphore uh, to be understood and perhaps parodied, but also perhaps copied and, and, and for people to sort of see the value of that and really, and really obviously hope most of all that audiences take to this and understand this and that we can then, you know, play out the rest of our global ambitions by continuing to serve more audiences around the world. Juno, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a blast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're often quick to jump on the hype train on new media startups, especially those with co-founders with good track records. But news organisations of all sizes face the same set of issues. Readers either not trusting our work or actively avoiding it. At the heart of Semaphore is an interesting proposal. Break up articles into its individual parts so the reader can see on any given story what are the facts, what do the relevant experts say, and what do the critics say, because all of that can easily be blurred. Their bet is that this will have a ripple effect, earning the trust of readers and their sceptical friends. But what did you take away from today? DM or tweet me at JPG Journalism or my team at journalism.co.uk at Journalism News. If you'd like to feature on the show, if you've got a topic or story you want us to cover on the podcast, do get in touch. I'm on jacob at journalism.co.uk. And finally, if you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. That way, you won't miss our next exciting episode. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>